Austin Found is sponsored by the LBJ Presidential Library on the UT campus. As you think about presidential politics these days, learn about our 36th president, Lyndon Johnson, and his wife, Lady Bird Johnson. Go to lbjlibrary.org. Literally an institution in this town of digging up old photos, old stories, collections, everything you can imagine under the sun about this great city. Greasy spoons, dives, old clubs. If you love this city, you're going to love it even more. Real people, real stories, real places. This is the Austin Found Podcast. Michael Barnes is here. I'm J.B. Hager. And we're going to start this very first episode going way back. Before the immigrants were coming up from Mexico, Europe, there was a lot of people stomping their feet around Austin and blazing trails before any of those immigrants got there. Absolutely. And uh, I even have news on that. Uh, In our last episode, we talked about episode zero. Mm -hmm. We (laughs) talked about how far back the Native American presence went. In between time, I've been to an archaeological site that pushes the date even further back. Paleo-Indian presence goes back 20,000 years, which is just completely rewriting the way we think about how people migrated to the Americas. And one of the key sites for that is is on the border of uh, Williamson and Bell counties. And, and so we know that there have been humans here for 20,000 years. And by the time that the Spanish came into contact with them in the 16th century, um, we know those tribes and those language groups of uh, the indigenous peoples uh, and in Austin it was primarily the Tonkawa, the Apaches a little bit and the Comanches a lot. It's so bizarre to me again because to me Austin's brand new. I feel like this, this city's only 30 <laughs> years old. Which tribe was most prevalent? The Tonkawas uh, when the immigrants arrived. The Tonkawas were a, a hunter-gatherer people. Uh, they lived on the edge of the Balcones Fault um, which was uh, well watered and had great game and they lived all the way from Mexico up to, to Oklahoma but this was their main hunting ground and they were uh, a people who were fearful of the uh, invading Comanches from the northwest and so when the the immigrants came they they generally allied with the newcomers against the Comanches now the Comanches had come down out of the Colorado mountains in uh, the 18th century and when they found those Spanish horses they just created an empire that stretched all across West Texas most of Central Texas several other states, and they were, in the words of, of historian T.R. Ferenbach, the best light cavalry since the Mongolian horde. They were, they could travel hundreds and hundreds of miles overnight, and, and they were feared by the Spanish, feared by the Americans, feared by other Indian tribes. They pushed the Apaches down into Big Ben in Mexico, so those were the main tribes. Growing up here and seeing things like Comanche Peak out mm-hmm. by Lake Travis. Right. I, I don't even connect the dots. Most people don't. Right? And there was even a, a conflict out there with the Comanches. There were many conflicts, yeah. but the, there definitely was one out there. And uh, one of my best contacts on this, uh, uh, Richard Denny, one of his ancestors was in that conflict. And when the Tonkawa chiefs were, were down here for some kind of conference or whatever they do, and you know their, their headquarters is in Tonkawa, Oklahoma. 
And when they were down here and they were out at the Oasis and looking out at Comanche Peak and the Tonquist said, well, who, who won? And, and, and Richard Ever, the diplomat, said, it was a tie. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of uh, this digging up is figuring out what trails were, were here and where they led. And, and I did kind of laugh. It wasn't the, very, the most creative name, Trail to the North, <laughs> right? That's like, did they never go the other way? <laughs> well, uh, all the trails follow the natural topography. Water uh, finds the path of least resistance and creates the path that wildlife took and therefore Native Americans followed them because this was the path through and the immigrants followed them and now we follow them because our roads are built on these uh, uh, Native American trails. When you think about, say for instance, uh, Shoal Creek. Now, why Shoal Creek? Because it's it's a wide canyon. It's got a, a flat bed, hard bed of limestone. And the Comanches, we call it the Comanche Freeway because they would come raiding down Shoal Creek. And, and the settlers in Austin wouldn't let their kids go play in Shoal Creek because they'd be kidnapped. Shoal Creek is a natural Indian trail, natural immigrant trail. And then we got, come along and build Mopac. Yeah. Right along the canyon. <laughs> right. And, and since you bring that up, there was a bit of a murder mystery kidnapping mm. with, a, a, you know, essentially what's West Austin, right? right, right. Uh, West, West 5th or West 6th Street, right? right? They lived in that neighborhood, kid, children kidnapped. Tell us more about that. Well, part of Comanche culture and some other tribes was uh, you when you encountered uh, uh, other tribes or you encountered settlers, uh, you would probably kill uh, all the men and uh, in, in, in battle. And then you might take some of the women uh, as wives and you definitely would take the, the children and, 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 and adopt them, essentially kidnap them and adopt them. I was just in an exhibit in Mason, Texas this last weekend, and there was this whole uh, 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 exhibit about uh, Indian captives and how many there were that came to civilization after their captivity and could never readjust. And there are lots of stories about that. That's not what we're talking about today. So anyway, yes, there was a a, a family in West Austin that, not far West Austin, but, you know, as far as Austin went at the time, which is West Avenue, Mm -hmm. interestingly enough. And the kids were out probably along the creek and the the Indians came and Comanches came and uh, rode off with them. And the boy was rescued, and he took the settlers to the site where his sister was killed, which was Spicewood Springs. Now, where do you think Spicewood Springs is? You know Spicewood Springs Road. I think of uh, off 360, and it spills into uh, Lake Austin down by where we get barbecue. That's actually Bull Creek. That's Bull Creek, yes. Dang it. And I know, I made that same mistake over and over again. Yeah. Where is where are yeah. the springs of Spicewood Springs? They're right off of Mopac. If hmm. you take a left on Spicewood Springs Road, of right. course, okay. and you go one block and take a right, and you can see them, you can the little bridge there. That close to Mopac. That close to Mopac. Ah. And basically, it was, uh, that whole valley was filled with spice bushes. It was a frequent stop for Indians and for cedar choppers and for Hmm. lots of people. But they extended the name all the way out till it goes 
to 183 and you think, well, surely it's that, that wild, rugged valley out there. But no, that's Bull Creek. Gotcha. All right. That's where Spicewood Springs is. Believe me, I had that <laughs> wrong for years. Yeah. And some other, other trails that have been uncovered in all this research. I can only guess there was a trail out of Austin to Mount Bunnell because it was a highest point. And, and it was a vantage point to, to uh, that's, that's for good, protection. No? That's, that's a good observation. And But also, I swear I'm still trying to figure this out, the pass in between Mount Bunnell and Mount Barker, and not many people know Mount Barker, but that's the next peak over, and Didn't it's almost as high. The pass there is the best way to avoid the steep canyon of the Colorado River and to get northwest. And so what they were going for was the pass. It is the gateway towards the Northwest. Another geographic perception that I had to fight with over the years is you think about, well, the settlers are coming in from the east. Well, so did the Spanish and so did the, the, um, the Indians. But we think, oh, well, they went through Bastrop, surely, along Highway 71. No. The, the Indian Road, the Camino Real, and the early settler road was on the north side of the Colorado, and it came through Weberville and Fort Prairie and to MLK and into the city from that direction. And for the longest time, that was the way you got to Austin from the coast. That would have been the way that, for instance, Lamar came up to build the city. Bringing some materials to build with him and think about what it was like without real roads. It took him a month to come from Houston to to Austin in 1839. Wow. It takes a month to drive to Dallas now. (laughs) (laughs) I go the West Way. I have another Indian trail to the West. I don't take I-35. Do any of these trails still exist or have they all been paved and made into roads? There are places where, yes, you can see uh, the remains of them, uh, generally on public land. And you can, for instance, you, you can go to McKinney Falls State Park in southeast Austin and you can see swales, uh, which are the the uh, the ruts in the stone that, that wagons have left. And that is the place where you cross Onion Creek on these flat stones. And the Indians did it, and the Spanish did it, and the settlers did it. So you know that you're in a right where people either on foot or on horseback or with oxen wagon crossed Onion Creek is there. Because you go further down, and it's all mushy prairie land. You don't want to cross there. You're always looking for at a ford where you can find shallow water, a flat bottom, and a hard bottom. Hmm. Swales is a new word that I learned. Uh, <laughs> didn't know that one before. And I, didn't, I never for the life of me thought of what the word Camino meant, uh, yeah. other than for an El Camino, the, the, the <laughs> 70s truck, car truck. Right, right. Uh, but that's that's really a highway, correct? Absolutely. The Camino Real de los Tejas was a braided trail that went from the Rio Grande to the Louisiana. And basically, most of it, I mean, all follows Indian trails, but the Spanish mostly used it while they were trying to ward off the French. They thought the French would come and take this part of their land from them, New Spain. So they set up presidios and missions all along these trails. And three of them were in the Austin area, and there's a lot of disagreement as to where those were. And they were only here for a year, 1730. 
they were on their way back. They were moving the missions away back from East Texas to San Antonio. But these trails uh, are, have been very carefully mapped and are in constant discussion uh, as to, you know, where what else can we find once we know they're there? Like, for instance, they triangulated some of the writing about an East Texas mission that had been lost, and they found it on a hill right above the trail, right at a ford in the river in East Texas. So. Now I'm going to be looking at the roots of trees for swales <laughs> <laughs> and bumping into things because I'm not looking ahead. Austin Found is brought to you by the LBJ Presidential Library. More info at lbjlibrary.org. Another interesting thing that I believe some of these still exist today are the marks on trees. This is a subject in which I have only dipped into, and uh, Richard Denny, who actually made that little map uh, of Indian trails, is actually an expert on it, and he's written a little uh, book on it. Marker trees is what they're called, and they are meant to show basically where a spring is and where in what direction to go to get to a pass or a Ford. Or a Starbucks. Uh, Exactly. And, and here's, this is, this is important. You are, you've hit exactly on travel, you know, in Native American times was not unlike travel. Now you want a smooth road, a safe road. You want places to stop to eat and drink and use the facilities there. You know? mm-hmm. So the main road along, think about it, going down South Congress, which is the old San Antonio road. You would stop at, you know, you'd stop at Barton Springs here, uh, Aquarina Springs in, in San Marcos, the Comal Springs in New Braunfels, where the largest Bucky's is or was. <laughs> I, I think it's been outstripped. <laughs> and then, you know, the springs on the San Antonio River. So you're avoiding the hills, mm-hmm. the rugged country to your west. You've got the cover of riparian river areas, and you have places to eat and drink. Wow. And go to the bathroom, but I, I don't know about that part. <laughs> Explain to people what signal hills are. These are places where you use as a way of, first of all, pathfinding. You know, like we call them, uh, some of them pilot knobs, you know, or the, or the pioneers did. There's a pilot knob the out, town, yeah. out towards the airport. And there's another one up towards Williamson County, maybe in Williamson County. Mm-hmm. But... You know, any high place was a place to not only use as a landmark, but also to use to signal from, to be able to signal from one high place to another high place. For instance, the three Civil War forts, and we call them forts, although they were just minimal embankment. The the three places where there were Civil War forts, minimal forts, were places that could be seen from each other. So where the P. Terry's is on, on uh, Ben White Boulevard and South Congress mm-hmm. is where Fort Magruder was. There was another one on College Hill, which is where the tower is. And there was another one on that road east, that Indian-Spanish settler road east, right where the Audubon Society's Blair Woods uh, Preserve is. And in fact, I just did a story on a little history expedition. A few history buffs and myself were looking around it, not only for its its natural beauty, but also for the history of that fort that was there. It's a Republic of Texas era fort called Fort Coleman or Fort Colorado. Those three, according to contemporary records, could be seen from each other. 
Oh, wow. That's hard to fathom. It is impossible. <laughs> you right? know, you're just like... So you tell us about about these trails, the Trail North, the Camino Real. There was a trail to Bastrop, Mount Bonnell, which we talked about. Why is the Chisholm Trail so famous compared to this? <laughs> well, because it was white people. You know? um, I, I, it, there is a certain amount of exaggeration in the whole cattle trail story. It is a era of fantastic tall tales and wonderful stories and a lot of the Texas myth derives from those fantastic cattle trails. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with them. I'm just saying, following the Civil War, we still hadn't been hooked up to the rest of the nation by by railroads. But there was a great need for meat in the North and, and in the West. And our wild beeves that were out there in, in the hills would be gathered up and, you know, herded north or herded west. These followed the same Native American trails and Spanish trails. And uh, they, uh, they, they were great uh, invitations to storytelling, though, if you can just see the thousands of cattle and all the things that can go wrong, the stampedes, the lightning, the Indian attacks, the so many of our great, great stories come out of it. The the whole Lonesome Dove saga that led to our, our great miniseries, Lonesome Dove. And our earliest authors of any note wrote about it. And, and now, uh, you know, even contemporary authors are still writing about the, the, the great trail. The Chisholm Trail was actually a, a half Cherokee man. Was He was, uh, there was a recent anniversary of his, maybe his birth. He was the one who who forged that trail, and uh, they basically, the early ones went up to Kansas, where there there was a railhead in Abilene, Kansas, and uh, and I'm really condensing this and probably mm-hmm. getting some of it a little bit wrong because just like the Camino Real, which was a braided trail, multiple trails, these cattle trails north were braided as well. You know, in Austin, we're pretty sure they crossed the Colorado at Longhorn Dam, which has got a clear, clear crossing. And if you look out, if you're going north on Pleasant Valley Road, mm-hmm. you cross the dam at the lake and you look to your right. If the water hasn't been released and the water's high, if the water's low, you see this vast expanse of flat limestone. And that's where they crossed. Hmm. And they probably also crossed at Shoal Creek, another great ford in in the river. I and mean, there's a reason why the village Waterloo, which preceded Austin on this site, why it was there at the mouth of Shoal Creek, because there's a great ford there. Had the the Native Americans not forged these trails in and out of Austin, mm-hmm. essentially, that the European immigrants may have gone somewhere else completely. Like, they, they paved the way a little bit. I hadn't thought about it that way, but, you know, the fact that you could get here that way is certainly had an impact. And also the fact that there weren't any other means of getting here. Um, we didn't have navigable rivers. We didn't, we weren't on the sea. And you think of most cities that grew up, yeah, they, there's a natural reason for them being here. Oh, Buffalo is there because it's right above Niagara Falls and you can get across, you know, mm-hmm. or, or, you know, whatever, uh, even Denver. And, 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 All uh, along the Mississippi, you know, people, yeah. It's, it, there's a pass 
or there's a port or something like that and or a Ford. But uh, we we were pretty isolated and and it was hard to get here. And so you had to take those land paths and the trails. Well, now as I'm walking around Austin after visiting with you, I'm going to be looking for marks on trees so I know where to stop, where to go, where to drink, where to sleep. (laughs) Swales are a new thing in my vocabulary. Uh, Very, very helpful. You shed some light on uh, some of our first people passing through here and blazing a trail. Mm -hmm. Uh, Very interesting stuff. Thank you. That's Michael Barnes with The Statesman. I'm J.B. Hager from Austin 360 Radio, and I I do want to make mention of it. You can pick up Indelible Austin, Volumes 1 through 3. Yes, and and the story about the Indian Trails is in Volume 2. Very good. Of Indelible Austin. Indelible Austin, written by Michael Barnes. You can pick those up. And if you want to expand your knowledge outside of Austin uh, with Texas history, you should get our, our new newsletter. It's called Think Texas, and you can sign up on the subscriptions page at statesman.com. And it's free, it's weekly, and every newsletter on Tuesday comes with about 25 different units of, of great Texas trivia and recommendations and travel stories and tall tales. And thank you for joining us on this episode of Austin Found. 